Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is uh, taken from our reading from the book of Acts, the second chapter, with an emphasis on these words. The disciples were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Among the more difficult topics to properly teach in the church is the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. All of you can probably describe with some degree of accuracy what a father is and how God, as father, does the work of creating and providing for us. Likewise, the Christian confession of God the Son, while more involved, is still grounded in terms that we have a visible reference for. God the Son, Jesus Christ, obeys perfectly the will of the Father. He rescues and redeems. He lives and he reigns as king over all things, as we heard Pastor Edwards preach on in last week's sermon. But then there's the Holy Spirit. I am guessing that your households do not contain a particular spirit that goes about announcing your will and your plans to other people. Seeing that your bills are paid, correspondence goes out, and the rules are followed whenever your kids head out with friends or to school. Though now that I think of it, that sounds pretty nice. Furthermore, the image that comes to mind when we picture a spirit or what it looks like may not be an altogether positive one. You might be tempted to think of the spirit in terms of those cartoon ghosts that we all grew up with, draped in white bedsheets. Or perhaps a scarier image comes to mind, that of the Hollywood poltergeists or monsters, those creatures seen and unseen that terrify and wreak havoc upon innocent people. Such is not the spirit that we speak of today. Because the Holy Spirit and his works are so difficult to reckon, Many in the church have attached their own presuppositions about him to their teaching or they have relegated him to any number of false doctrines or practices which are nowhere to be found in the Holy Bible. There are those today who incorrectly think of the Holy Spirit as some kind of divine good luck charm, something to hang on your dashboard in your car or to wear around your neck to give you that little extra push through all of life's various trials. Others might assume that he is the one that you call on in times of desperation, times when you need a personal miracle to be performed. You've all likely seen some silly videos on the internet, for instance, of the charismatic movement, where pastors wearing cheap suits will slap crippled or ailing parishioners over the head while invoking the name of the Holy Spirit, and, wonder of wonders, presto fixo, that person begins to get up from their wheelchair or their sickbed. And yet, dear friends, out of all the iffy or outright bad teaching surrounding this third person of the Trinity, I'm convinced that the most dangerous comes not out of the charismatic movement, but out of the rationalist movement, which tries to understand the person and the work of the Holy Spirit merely in terms of the created order, what we can see and hear and experience. And in so doing, some of them have demeaned or denied his part in the Godhead, 
trying to explain him merely as a force of nature. Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of the Christian science movement, characterized this Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, as a kind of divine science. Parley Pratt, one of Mormonism's so-called prophets, once described the Holy Spirit as a force similar to magnetism or electricity. He would further and later speak of the Spirit as a divine fluid or, interestingly, an impersonal energy. And it's this last term that I want you to latch on to. It's the one that I find most egregious. For the Holy Spirit is many things, things that we can understand and things that we cannot comprehend, several of which are difficult to understand by human reason. But I tell you, dear friends, that impersonal is not one of them, as the whole counsel of the Holy Scriptures plainly attest. Take as exhibit A our Old Testament reading for today from the book of Numbers, where 70 of the elders of Israel received the Holy Spirit, and immediately they began to prophesy to the people of Israel. Then there are Jesus' own words from our gospel reading, where he promises that those on whom the Spirit rests will pour out from their hearts rivers of living water, inviting all who thirst in their spirits to be quenched by Christ, crucified for them. And even beyond what we have read here today in our pericope, we also hear of the Holy Spirit and how he directly interacts and intervenes in us and in the world around us. Take, for instance, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, where we read, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And in John 14, 26, where Jesus says, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And again, in Romans 8, 26, the Apostle Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Notice that in each one of these passages there is a specific personal action associated with the Holy Spirit. Washing, sanctification, teaching, helping, intercession, these are not the works of some impersonal energy, but these are the direct mediation of God in his beneficence towards man. The Holy Spirit has a purpose and a function, which is solely his to accomplish, and that function is to instill in man the knowledge of Christ Jesus, and so bring souls to his salvation. In other words, dear friends, the Holy Spirit speaks. But here, too, in our arrogance of sin, we make him to say things that are not of God, but rather of man. Some of you might be familiar, for instance, with the Pentecostal practice of speaking in tongues. And if you are familiar with this practice, then you know that this kind of speaking is really no speaking at all, but is nothing more than incoherent babbling, which is masquerading as a sign of genuine faith. For when the Holy Spirit speaks, 
It is not incoherent, it is not mysterious, and it is not incomprehensible. The Holy Spirit speaks to make known those things which were formerly hidden from us as a result of our sin. The Holy Spirit's voice is not obscure. It is revelatory, pointing to Christ and moving hearts from sin and doubt to repentance and faith. This we see on fullest display on this Sunday at the great celebration of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit visited the apostles in Jerusalem, they were, at first, quiet and afraid. When we meet them, they are uncertain of what they were to do next as they had just witnessed their Savior, their Rabbi, their Lord Jesus, ascending into the clouds to be parted from their faces. And yet, as that same Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit did indeed come to them. First, by the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and then secondly, by the tongues of flame appearing over their heads. At his coming, these men, who were once quiet and afraid, opened their mouths in bold and faithful proclamation. Not an incoherent babble, but in tongues, which while foreign to their own could be plainly heard and understood by all those faithful men who were gathered in Jerusalem from under heaven. Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, even visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, they all heard in language which they could under, hear and more importantly understand. That same Holy Spirit then did lift up the voice of St. Peter to pronounce salvation in none other than Christ Jesus. For this is what the Holy Spirit has always done. That same Spirit who witnessed Christ on the day of Pentecost did also admonish his people of old by the voice of the prophets, as we read in Nehemiah. He put his word in King David's mouth at his deathbed in 2 Samuel 23. He prophesied life to the dry bones in Ezekiel. He spoke his covenant for all generations to his servant Isaiah, as we read in the 59th chapter of his prophecy. And now, today, in your hearing, he moves our tongues to confess Christ Jesus as Lord, which St. Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians. And so, dear brothers, on this day, as we hear again, of how the Spirit comes to us, I invite you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, to hear his voice again. For the Holy Spirit still speaks in this place. Still he communicates all of God's gifts of grace to you in word and sacrament. By these means of grace, his work will be done in you, so that with your voice, forgiveness of sins may be pronounced to your neighbor in the name of Christ Jesus. Speaking salvation to all those who believe, the Holy Spirit moves through his faithful redeemed so that the image of Christ, not obscured, not incomprehensible, but clear, may be seen and heard by all the world. Our own church father, Dr. Martin Luther, summarizes this work in his small catechism, which many of you had to memorize during your time at confirmation. In his 
article, in his article, uh, exposition on the third article of the Apostles' Creed, the Reformer writes, The Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it in Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. Dear friends, this is most certainly true. Amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.